Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me in welcoming my guests as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening inside big healthcare. Today, Boston native Karen Horgan, CEO and co-founder of Connecticut-based Val Health, the leading health behavioral economics firm, joins the best and brightest of Healthcare 360. Karen brings invaluable insight into the trends of healthcare, solutions designed to get people to change behavior, artificial intelligence and mindset, and the hurdles for telehealth both provider and consumers face. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Karen as much as I did, as we get a good laugh at how loud a hailstorm can really be during a podcast. From all of us at Healthcare 360, we wish you all the health, strength, and resilience. And as always, thank you for being a part of the Healthcare 360 Nation. Thanks for making yourself available. Thanks for reaching out. Appreciate it, everyone. This is another episode of Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Today, we have a, uh, I would say, a pleasant surprise coming back on. They reached out through Val Health, and they said, hey, the CEO would like to talk to you and talk about some different options. We had some uh, good roundtable that went back and forth. That conversation led to, one, I found out she was from Boston. So automatically, uh, I was like, synergy. Uh, (laughs) And then after that, our talking points were just so diluted and diverse and just well, it just flowed so well that it was just a perfect fit. So I want to welcome Karen Horgan onto the show. She's the CEO of Val Health. She's here to talk about a lot of different options and a lot of different topic points in that regard. Some of the things I mentioned to her is like, what's happening to the market space? What's going to go on post-COVID? What's going to happen with AI? What's going to happen with different business practices, et cetera? She was very well fluid in all of those topic points. Karen, appreciate you coming on. Thanks for taking the time. I know we have a hard stop soon. You're very busy. Let's jump right into it. If you can kind of give everyone a brief explanation of who you are, I don't want to read the litany uh, on LinkedIn or anything else. I think that's kind of boring, but born and raised in Boston, which is uh, where I born and raised in Brighton, Massachusetts. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Karen Horgan. I am currently CEO and co-founder of Val Health. We are a behavioral economics consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say I'd ever thought I'd find myself in this position living in Connecticut and running a healthcare behavioral economics consulting firm. Um, as you said, I grew up in Boston, uh, spent a few years down your way in Miami, South Florida, and then across the years really found an interest and passion for health and wellness. And about 10 years ago, I teamed up with some academics from the Wharton School who are experts in understanding the irrationality of humans and how we mm-hmm. behave. And it was almost, um, this will be a bad analogy for healthcare, but it was like a Reese's peanut butter copy of my chocolate meets your peanut butter. My business experience combined with their academic uh, rigor created a consulting company that we really focus on driving health behavior change and engagement to nudge people to do what it is that they already want to do, but they have a hard time doing. Irrational behaviors. Talk to me about that. That's, that's a key phrase that just <laughs> stuck out for that right there. Behavioral economics is that science of understanding we as humans are irrational. We have biases to the present. We have aversion to loss and regret. We overweight probabilities. And rather than try to change the innate behaviors within us, we can harness that and use it to advantage. So I'll talk about some common day things you probably see outside of healthcare. Mm -hmm. We're lazy. We don't like to do a whole lot of stuff. What does Netflix do? They roll right into the next video so that way you binge watch. We tend to stick with defaults, so you can list items on a menu at a Subway sandwich shop in any order you want, 
our team listed low calorie part of the day, high calorie items the other part of the day. And when you had low calorie items listed first, people purchased 25% fewer calories because we're purely lazy. We are also social beings. We are all seeing this now in the pandemic. And we're very much receptive to what it is that others are doing. So you see on your energy bills now how you're comparing next to your neighbors. Mm-hmm. We're also influenced by scarcity or exclusivity. Uh, back in the day when I used to buy plane tickets, which seems like years ago, but it was only about four weeks ago. If you're on a website, it might say one ticket left at this price. People are more likely to purchase if they think there's only one left. So I bring these up because there's all these innate behaviors and healthcare is the last, one of the last industries to actually use them, whereas finance, gambling, retail, all take advantage of people. We like to use behavioral economics for good to get people to be healthy. So in short, you've heard of the expression FOMO before, right? Yes. Fear of missing out. Totally. Would that be a collective understanding of everything you just said? Um, yeah, I've never heard it put that way, but totally, yes. FOMO <laughs> is exactly it. <laughs> FOMO, the fear of missing out. And the reason why I say that is because my wife, she'll say, hey, there's only so many tickets left when she wants to fly to New Jersey, when she wants to go home. Yeah. And I'll say, hold on. What about, what about, what about? And I'm more of a have we gone through our checks and balances? I don't care that it's the last ticket because I know that if someone offered it, someone else could or will offer the same thing. It's a competitive market. So I'm like, okay, well, let's hold on. Let's make sure this is a good fit versus just trying to jump into thing. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, shit, you know something? I forgot to check on that calendar. And now we have a transfer fee or a rescheduling fee. Yeah. You give them the money that they were expecting to begin with. Out of the gate. I, I'm with you. I'm very much a list person. Uh, you could see my desk right now. It's uh, very much a rational person. My, my husband is probably much more like your wife mm-hmm. in that he's, he's just like, oh, let's go do this. Let's, let's be more spontaneous in that sense. But FOMO is definitely a great way to think about how we're influenced by those around us and, and the, the environment. Yeah. So let me jump into a couple big questions. So this week, I don't know yeah. if you saw one of my posts. Uh, we post a lot on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the four major socials that are out there. Talk about financial health week this week. And we had a friend of mine who is an independent financial consultant. And the reason why I selected him and we talked about it because he has an unbiased perspective. He's not trying to push a product that a major corporation is going to benefit from. Okay. To me, and for the listeners and the people who subscribe to Healthcare 360, that's what we're looking for. We're trying to give them an unbiased approach and a really open approach so they can make a good decision at the end of the day. Being a CEO in this environment, in the environment leading up to this, what are you seeing as healthcare trends? Ooh, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big one. And, and I'll, I'll, I have my own theory to the whole thing as far as where I think we're going and how we're going to get there. A little bit far-fetched, but if you look at the data and the article support and the research support, I don't think we're far off from it. I think there's, there's some key trends. One is a trend towards consumerism. Mm-hmm. It's people wanting more information, people getting access to information, and people starting to ask more questions about healthcare, particularly around cost. Mm-hmm. Other trends would be around personalization and information and how that can be used by physicians to better treat patients. So you've got new diagnostics, like we're working with a chronic kidney disease diagnostic company, Renalytics, and they're really focused on that. We've also seen a fair amount around digital. Uh, that goes without saying, but yeah. we know that just giving people digital tools isn't suddenly going to make them healthy. 
over 40% of chronic conditions are brought on by lifestyle. So just handing someone a pedometer or handing someone a wireless glucose meter doesn't mean they're suddenly going to become healthy. Don't you find that it could be sometimes worse? Because again, if you're not changing someone's lifestyle, aka yeah. mindset, uh, there's this one morning meditation that I listen to that says, you, you know, you can buy someone a new car and you can go drive that new car. But if you don't change your mindset, then you're still going to have the same experience in that new car. That is very well said. Ultimately, we are about behavior change and engagement. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about giving you a tool or rolling out a new program. It's how do you get someone to use that and how is that solution designed to get people to change their behavior? So let's look at telehealth, for example. Yeah, huge topic nowadays. We won't spend much time on it, but we at Valhealth spent years trying to drive telehealth adoption. How do you get providers to say yes? How do you get consumers to feel comfortable without being touched? How do you work on reimbursement models? Those were our three big hurdles to telehealth adoption. And you know what happened? Literally overnight, all three were ripped out. And now suddenly it's taking off. And post-COVID, I feel pretty confident that telehealth is going to stay because consumers are expecting it. This is the endowment effect from behavioral economics. Once you have something, it's very hard to take it away. People are now used to calling their doctor to get test results instead of having to go in. This is going to totally change the way healthcare is delivered. And it's going to have to work through the payment models and work through everything. I'm glad you brought that up. It's everywhere. It's like a nuclear bomb went off with telehealth as the plutonium inside of it. Okay. So that, that was the, the, the boom. Everything was there. So everything's telehealth now. But the problem still exists there within telehealth. And if you looked at some of the earlier articles about what artificial intelligence proves to solve moving forward in healthcare, one of them is fraud. Because right now, people are getting billed accidentally. People are getting billed on their ICD-10 codes incorrectly or their CPT codes incorrectly. When you look at back, when you get your EOB statement coming back in, so what the hell was this? That's where AI can make a huge impact. But on telehealth, it was, wasn't even like rolled out. It was pushed out overnight. We're going to do X, Y, and Z as the federal government did, but the problems are still there. So what can people do now to look for, or what do you expect is going to happen in telehealth, especially with all the open gaps that it presently has? Like if you think about payment models, the cost of delivering care via telehealth lowers the whole cost for the provider and the system. Mm-hmm. And so will those continue to be reimbursed at the same rate? Perhaps not. Perhaps it only needs to be 80% because you don't need as much retail space. You don't need as much staff. That being said, telehealth visits may take longer than an in-office visit because in an in-office visit, the physician can get up and walk out and that's the body language that he or she has done. On the phone, it's harder to do that. Artificial intelligence will have to look at, are you appropriately coding? Does this seem out of the norm for what someone else, uh, another physician would be billing for? Mm -hmm. And is it redundant? Because artificial intelligence is really going to have to parse out where the key frauds are and then how do you pick up on it. Right. And, and I think that's gonna be, a lot of that's going to be set on the algorithm itself. Yeah. The other friend of mine who works with one of the leading AI companies right now that's targeting the OR. Okay. Really cool stuff. And I sat there and I said, so what's the basis? What's the backbone? So what they did was they took 500 successful procedures versus 500 unsuccessful procedures under the same ICD-10 code. They're looking at the good procedures and the bad procedures and using video 
earlier on in Healthcare 360, you'll see two episodes, one with Paul Summerside. We had two clips of him, episode one, episode two. He talks about what the military uses and why the NFL and all these major teams. Redmond Burke, who is the leading pediatric cardiovascular surgeon in the globe, personal friend of mine, he's down here in Nicholas Children's, which was the old Miami Children's Hospital. What he does is he comes before the procedure and he's doing a huddle with his team and he's going through frame by frame a video of what the procedure should look like and what the adult is going to look like or the audible, if you will, if something goes sideways. And it was really, really cool and really interesting. So what do you see that all making a play back into telehealth, back into that question? As far as looking at video and looking at where the gaps are and how that's all going to play back into it to make sure that it's legitimate, it's going to ease the pain of the consumer. In the video, AI could do videos of an in-office visit versus a video visit <laughs> and track what the physician is doing to see if the physician is being as thorough and seeing if certain elements aren't coming through, like if they're missing diagnoses more on video than they are in person. Yeah. It's going to have to be telling to see what types of diagnoses, what types of visits are appropriate for telehealth versus which ones need to be in person. Like you hear a lot about dermatology. Dermatology really need to take that bright light and shine it on you. Or is it such a basic thing that a dermatologist like, yeah, I know exactly what that is. Right. Over time, it could also be that artificial intelligence can help the physician because it can say, Here's the algorithm that, or data that would show this is probably the diagnosis based on what they're learning. And so in that case, it might even replace some of the physician mm. versus just verifying that they're being accurate and effective. Yeah, that's right. It's the level of camera quality that's coming out, Yeah. even on mid-range phones, no longer flagship phones. I was sitting down this morning and my daughter's like, why do you always look at phone technology? Because if it's in your pocket, it's going to be everywhere. You follow phone technology because phone is, it's the step one. Because if it's there, it's everywhere. And she's like, why? And I said, we'll talk about the iPhone 12 and some features that are going to come out with it. They started talking about the next iteration of it and what they're looking down with the magnetic charger. So they're developing a phone right now, iPhone or Apple for that matter, that's going to be buttonless. It's going to be portless. And the sound is going to come from the screen. So you're basically going to have a slab of glass. Like that reality that we all seen on YouTube is shaping itself right now. I went back and you know Corning glass and how good and how strong that material is. I showed her a video that was done back in, I would say about a decade ago. It said a year in the life of Corning and what that looked like. And I said, look at this. This was done 10 years ago. And I said, now look at what they're doing. She goes, how'd you know that? Follow the trends, honey. Follow what people are talking about. It's going to happen. It's going to eventually get there. It just takes a while to do it. So she was like blown away, but it was really, really cool. I'm blown away too. Really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was cool stuff. Let me jump into this other one here. This is a, not a loaded question, but it may be a difficult one. I'm hoping you can shed some light on it. What do you see as the moving target right now with solutions that need to be provided, gaps within the healthcare system? that really need to be proven and then provided a long-term solution to. If you listen to Brent Lacey or Brian Doric, Paul Summerside, the present U.S. healthcare system doesn't need a bomb dropped on it, but it does need to be revised. There are a lot of gaps. There are a lot of problems with it, okay? And there are a lot of solutions that are out there. But from your position, I'm sure a lot of people throw NDAs at you with new technologies day in and day out. 
What do you find as the solutions moving forward that's going to really streamline a lot of these problems that are out there right now in U.S.-based healthcare, even globally for that matter? I see a lot of solutions that I think would fundamentally disrupt healthcare. So if you look at how we are built in the United States, we'll talk that versus global. We're very fragmented. We're very fee-for-service. We have beds that need to be filled. Right. And this is a problem with COVID right now, and that hospitals are ironically having to furlough employees because they're not doing elective surgeries. Patients aren't coming in for unnecessary procedures, and suddenly the hospitals are short on cash. Technology that would continue to disrupt that in addition to the pandemic is really remote data capture technology. Why, if you're being managed for your high blood pressure, do you have to go back into the physician's office to get recalibrated? You can have a wireless cuff that sends the data, that gets real-time information, you get feedback telling you you're doing well or you're not, what do you need to adjust? And suddenly, you've got AI is helping the patient through this in real time. And from my perspective, behavioral economics, real-time feedback and making it salient is what drives behavior. Not to come back to COVID, but one of the challenges that's going to be long-term in keeping COVID away or flattening so we can all start going out again is the behaviors we need people to do are wash their hands and stay away from people. And we're not getting positive feedback that it's working. Like if I wash my hands, I don't know, did I get rid of germs? I don't know if it mattered. Technology that will totally fundamentally disrupt healthcare, it's giving people that real-time feedback and bringing the reward into the present and almost cutting out many of the people that they have to interact with today. Yeah, I agree. Let me give you a little bit of snapshot of what I think is going to happen based on some of the technology that I see. There was a post that I put up on LinkedIn, a couple articles I had read. And I think, you know, I I find this pretty interesting. There were some patents that were being submitted uh, through a couple of the, the major companies. And it was right after Fitbit was gobbled up by Google, okay? Imagine this. We have telehealth. We have this robust AI system that's going to identify fraud and all these different intangibles that made it unusable, but we're going to go back and we're going to correct that. This watch now has a built-in blood pressure cuff. The first Rev does exist today. Uh, I won't name the company. Uh, It does exist today. It's not really refined yet. The sensors and everything else underneath. And then you go back and you listen to what Samsung said right before they released their latest version of their phone that people will not be using their phones in five years. We're going to be using a different medium to hyper-communicate. You have telemedicine, which is being pushed. You have new technology that's being introduced. And you have technology that's being deintroduced in the shape of a new medium. So I believe AI and telemedicine is here to stay for those reasons alone, because I believe our watch, which is connected to our physical, is going to be able to identify what you talked about in wireless, blood pressure, what the certain responses are, and who knows what that little green light and the LED light can identify long-term. I mean, it can take our blood pressure, it can take our oxidation rate, it's a lot of different variables there. So I really do believe that that's what's going to shape, reshape healthcare, which is going to lead my next question to you. What is going to reshape healthcare for us in this country moving forward? If you think of the watch example, so what I love where that's going to go in terms of driving healthcare is in our mind, it's you make the right path, the easy path. Remember we talked before about like Mm -hmm. Netflix, you're sitting on the couch. Well, how do you use that laziness to get people to be healthy? Because I don't have to take my blood pressure. I don't have to do a reading and it's automatically doing it for me. I'm more likely to actually look at my blood pressure. Right. 
a lot of where these technologies can take us is driving human behavior change around their lifestyle. How do you get people to get up and go for a walk? Well, if there's a little shock on that, that watch <laughs> that says you've been sitting too long, you're probably likely to get up. Right, right, it, it's, kind of, it's funny, but it's true. It's, you don't have to set your timer. It's already doing it for you. Real change in healthcare has to come from human behavior. And it's not just about the system and it's not just about payment models. It's how do we use technology and create the environment so that way our obesity rate doesn't continue to rise and our diabetes rate doesn't continue to rise. That's our biggest challenge as a country, right? Well, not right now. Aside from the COVID, that is our biggest long-term challenge is the chronic conditions that are just taking over. I was on an airplane a couple years ago and I was flying to um, Sacramento, California, and the three people behind me all needed seatbelt extenders. I heard this comment that said, I don't understand why the airplanes aren't making seats bigger because we are all getting bigger. And I thought to myself, wow, that is quite a mindset. And it wasn't like we're getting bigger, we're getting taller as humans. It was we're getting wider as humans. And they didn't understand why people weren't accommodating that. Uh, but it's just an interesting of what really frightens me about the future is just the rise in unhealthiness and the rise in chronic conditions. How can we use technology to nudge people and help them make make the decisions they need to make? Mm-hmm. And then how do you work on reimbursement models? Because you do have doctors that are fee-for-service. You do have doctors that are in value-based care. You've got the ACOs. You've got all these different models that give mixed messages to what's the role of the physician, what's the role of the employer, what's the role of the actual individual consumer. Yep. It's almost as if the consumer can just push off any of the blame on, well, my doctor didn't tell me to do that, or my doctor didn't give me this. What we find is if someone has a heart attack, within a year, half of people aren't taking their statins because they feel healthy. And we talked before about washing hands and COVID. If I feel good now, it's hard for me to think about being unhealthy. And so maybe I won't take my medicine, or maybe I won't go for a walk, or maybe I'll start eating bad because I'm feeling good now. And it's hard to imagine what it will feel like when I'm bad. Right, right. I get up every morning, 5 a.m., and work out. Some mornings it's absolutely painful, but I do it because I know that when I'm done, I will feel good. So that's like the future self. Right. And so it's how do you instill that on people to understand, yes, you're doing something painful or enjoyable, or I actually enjoy exercise, but you're doing something different now. How will that help you in the future? Yeah. Interesting you bring that up. So in the morning, the first thing I do now is I meditate in the morning. I used to work out first thing in the morning, but I started breaking that up because of COVID. So sometimes I'll work out after I go for my walk with my wife, which I love doing now because we never went for walks before. I found that as I'm changing my routine and schedules around it, it is pre-planned as to when I'm going to do it, but it's always a pre-schedule. So I know you wake up, you meditate, you go work out. The next morning, I'll wake up, I'll meditate, I'll go do some work, and I'll get some things done early so when 9 o'clock hits, I'm not trying to play scramble and catch up, et cetera. Let me dive into Val Health a little bit. We talked a lot about AI. We talked a lot about different business practices, different mindsets that people need to change. How is Val Health positioned? One of the things that really intrigued me about you when I went back and I did my background on you when we were doing all the reading is that it really seems like you have a stronghold on marketing which prompted one of the first phrases, irrational behaviors. All that is very steady in your repertoire. Long-term, 
when you apply this to Val Health? What are some of the things that you're seeing as solutions, how you're providing it, and what the future looks like for the company? Great question. An example, outside of healthcare, which is the first project we've done outside of healthcare in all of Val Health's 10 years. We recently wrapped up a project with uh, Boston Bjorks. They make Sam Adams and Truly. Oh, yeah, yeah. We know the CEO, and he called us a couple weeks ago, and he's like, Karen, we're an essential business. We're running. We want to make sure our employees are being safe. Can you come help us? And normally I'd say no, but I was like, okay, Dave, COVID, it's in our sweet spot. We're going to do it. As you said, it's marketing. It's how do you frame something to drive people to make a change? So one of the solutions we came up with is having people wear badges or stickers that says, I'm a protector. Mm -hmm. Because we know identity drives people to do this. Like it's been used in voting. Instead of saying go vote, it's be a voter. And more people vote. Because you could have the negative, don't be a spreader, or the positive, but be a protector. And people will embrace on being a protector. Sure. Bringing this to healthcare, we work with payers. So think of blue plans, national uh, providers. How do you close gaps in care? How do you get people to go get their preventative screenings? They're free. They're paid for. People don't go do it. And so sometimes we'll do marketing campaigns. Sometimes we'll change the journey instead of have to go in to get your A1C tested. How do we send a kit to your home? Mm. And make that the easy path. We do a lot on condition management, think diabetes management, managing of an acute condition like cancer. How do you get people into those programs and stay engaged? Or even simple plan design. We've worked with a couple plans on no one understands copay, no one understands coinsurance. So how do you just make it? Here's the four different prices you're going to pay depending on what you're doing. Yeah, that's it right there. Boom. Simple plan design. We've done um, great work on doubling the rate with Blue Cross Blue Shield Louisiana, doubling the rate of people into their uh, diabetes management programs. We've worked a lot with digital health companies on how do you get people to sign up for the program, actually start using it, and stay engaged. Mm. Because they're very different behaviors of signing up, and then over the long term, you get bored. Right. So we've created gamification without money, but you've got streak, status, social. We already talked about FOMO. We've done outbound messaging that includes, for example, almost like a cardboard cutout of what it is you're getting in the future if it's a device. There's a lot of marketing. But across all this, there's this broad behavioral strategy. Uh, We always look at what is the hurdle to doing something and what is the behavioral element of it? Is it you're asking people to create an account and they don't want to do that? Is it it's costing money? Is it they don't care about it? Once we know the behavioral challenge, then we go in and we can change the journey. We can create marketing. We can build something totally new if we need to. That's great. Another podcast you made me think back to. So Tom Soleil was on there. This guy is IT on steroids. He came back out and told us what he was doing with the Raspberry Pi. Remember that little device? No. Oh, yeah. So Raspberry Pi is an open source green board. And have the Ethernet jack in there, Bluetooth, wireless. And you can develop this thing to do anything. You can create the algorithm, the design, this can do it, as long as you can code it in. So they developed a way of how to gamify diabetes checkpoints for kids who have diabetes and they don't want to have insulin controls. Going back to that podcast, what made me think about that when you said gamification, because that's a big way moving forward of how to keep people engaged. I would find that most people, yeah, they'll come back out and they'll sign up for an account. Okay, that's easy, check. But then how do you get them active in the account, and then continually engaged. And that goes back to the mindset. And I really, really appreciate your deep understanding of what people 
behaviors look like. Because if you can control that, you can control anything. So we worked with one uh, Blue Plan uh, nine years to get their members to do a walking program. Twice a year, we would run these regret contests where people had chances to win small prizes, large prizes. And if they hadn't walked their steps, their number was drawn. They find out they miss out on winning a prize. Talk about FOMO. It's the anticipation and the experience of regret that drives behavior change. We saw that engagement went up each year when we ran the contest. And if people got the message that they missed out, depending on the program, 19 to 40% of people change their behavior. Hmm. Gamification, when done well, can truly drive behavior as opposed to just rewarding people for what they would have done anyway. Right. The nuances are really all there. Funny you say that because I love my Apple. I'm an Android person. I would prefer an Android phone any day over an iPhone. But looking at the iPhone, I couldn't get in touch with doctors and surgeons because those buildings don't have the infrastructure on the radio waves. Uh, oftentimes they have lost signal. So iMessage is the only way to get in touch with them, which is one of the reasons why I switched over to iPhone. I had Wear OS, switched over to Apple, their watch version, their watch OS. I won't give up my watch for anything. I'll give away my phone all day. I can care less, but my watch is amazing. This little feature right there with the fitness thing on it, I look at that all the time. And that motivates me because I looked at it and my brother's like at 115% today. And I'm like, oh, screw that shit. I'm going to get all over that. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you have an Apple Watch? I, I do not have an Apple Watch. Oh. I just have an Apple phone. Okay. I'm going to say, if you have an Apple Watch, you and I are going to have to uh, share. And so we can compete. <laughs> you know, that could be reason enough for me to get one. I need some new things to be doing while I'm under quarantine. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, it really is. It's very cool. Keep going about Val Health. I want to learn a little bit more. I, I know some of the items that I read, what's the staple of the company? As a consulting company, the staple would be, who do you need to drive behavior change or engagement in? So we've already talked about closing gaps in care or nudging to condition management programs. We work a lot with hospital systems on population health as they're trying to, especially if they're in an ACO or value-based care, manage their population. Provider behavior change. They're some of the worst in behavior. Providers are like, well, I know what I'm doing. Don't ask me to do anything. I'm overburdened shut down. So how do you design incentives? How do you change the EMR to appropriately mm. nudge them without getting uh, fatigue from all the pop-ups that they get? Because when we worked with a, a diagnostic company and it just became the standard care plan for physicians to order the diagnostic, it's much more likely to be adopted. Right. If I look at some of the evidence that, that we focus on, it's like enrollment in programs. It's getting people to show up for appointments. We worked with Mount Sinai in New York City, right now the center of COVID, but this was right. before that, mm -hmm. for their uh, duals Medicaid, Medicare population who were in a high-risk, high-cost program. They had hour-long appointments with their physicians and they had high no-show rates. It makes sense. It wasn't just a seven-minute slot then the physician was missing out. They had an hour. We created all new tools from uh, pledge cards for the patient to sign in front of the physician, sound bites for the physician to use around. It's the social norm for people to come. And we got a 5% points increase in uh, show rate. Wow. And it was phenomenal because it just changed the whole paradigm of how the patient interacts with the physician. That's significant. Those are significant numbers right there. What's interesting about when you use behavioral economics is Usually in healthcare, you're looking for like one or two points increase in something. Sure. We regularly get magnitudes increase. So much that I don't talk a lot about the results we get because people won't believe them. Like when you get an eight times increase in app download, people are really like, yeah, whatever. 
if you get a five times increase in people scheduling appointments online, they'll be like, what, were you starting from like 0.1? But the answer is no. Sometimes you're in single digits, but we're getting real numbers increase. That's what hopefully your listeners will take away is that when you think about the biases that we were talking about at the beginning that you clearly summarized in FOMO, Mm -hmm. if you can package that into how you're communicating and creating the experience, whether it's your physician, your provider, your caregiver, your, your nurse, you're going to make a fundamental change in how healthcare is. I oftentimes think of behavioral economics as the last mile of healthcare. Right. Put all the systems in place, but if you're not factoring in behavior change, which is why we did that project for Boston Beer Works, it's like, yes, we want to contribute to COVID issues. It fundamentally makes a difference. Let's, let's get to the meat of this. What about dollars, the bottom line? If something's going to resonate and they're going to take action and they're going to say, we need to X, what does the bottom line look like? So in revenue streams or improvement on efficiencies, what are we talking numbers? And let's talk large because we know we talked about Mount Sinai. I don't want to specifically call them out for the example, yeah. but you can reference whoever you want to reference on that. Our customers will have increased revenue. For example, if you're closing gaps in care and you're improving your STARS and HEDIS ratings and you're getting high reimbursement from CMS, you can have tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars of benefit. Over one are, single year? Like how long of that span? Over the course of a year, depending on how large you are. Okay. If you're a digital health company and you're trying to get enrollment, your revenues, depending on how big you are, could be hundreds of thousands to multiple millions. And sometimes it could be your survival because oftentimes they'll have performance guarantees with their customers so they don't have to pay back. Mm. If they're venture-backed and they have to meet their VC numbers so that way they get a second round of funding. When we do our projects as consulting, we do fixed fee. And oftentimes clients are like, well, will you go at risk? I'm happy to do that. (laughs) And then we start talking about how we're going to go at risk and what they're expecting to see as their cost savings or their revenues. And suddenly like, okay, we'll pay you fixed fee. Because they realize that if you get the magnitude change, it's priceless to them versus sharing (laughs) with us in the continuous upside or benefit that they're getting. I, you know, I really, that's funny when you talk about hospitals and doing the whole risk sharing model and what if and how come and what are you going to do? And you answered that perfectly because as soon as you come back and say, fine, we can do risk sharing all day. But if you have this 10x growth, which most people don't believe that it's plausible to have 10x growth, yeah. that you're going to pay three or four or five times more, just like our mortgages. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. How much are we going to? They immediately go back to the fixed fee. All of a sudden, the fixed fee looks like a deal at the end of the day. That is a behavioral economics concept called anchoring. I've anchored you on one number, put another out there, like, oh, that was not so bad. Right. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. So what books are you reading right now? I am rereading Daniel Pink's book, When, because that fundamentally changed the way I manage my day. It's just how you pointed out how you change your mornings, like my mornings are my peak. So I know when I should be doing what I'm doing. So that is a really interesting book that yep. I'm rereading. And I'm actually listening to a lot of podcasts because while I'm under uh, this quarantine, I do a lot of walking. And so my podcasts are probably not that creative. I'm always open to new ones. Listening to, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to Zev Newworth's Creating a New Healthcare. Nope, I haven't listened to that one. It's really interesting about reframing and the future of healthcare. And then I go old school, probably like NPR, like Planet Money or Freakonomics. And even though they're both in my wheelhouse, I, I can learn something. Right. So the final word is yours. What would you like to say? What would you like everyone to know about you, about Val Health, future healthcare, and everything that you know from your seat? 
Do you hear that storm? Wow. It's like a South Florida storm, and I am so sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh you're fine. So everyone, hey, real quick. So Val is in quarantine like the rest of us right now. I can't even hear you. Her dog is barking a storm, and her the rainstorm that she's in right now is like cats and dogs, literally cats and dogs. And so that's what you're hearing. Wow. That sounded almost that's, like hail. It is hail. Oh, is it really? You know, like in South Florida, when that storm comes and you're like, I, I want to get the last word in, but I, I'll be shouting over this. No, you're okay. No, I can hear you fine on my end. You're good. Oh, okay. Yeah. What I personally want to know is where do you think healthcare is going down the road? So first of all, Scott, this is the funnest podcast I've ever done. So thank you. Oh, thank this you. I appreciate that. We might have to start just having these conversations every week because I need the intellectual stimulation while we're all not going out. We um, do a LinkedIn Live, just so you know, and a Facebook Live, and it's also going to be going on YouTube. We do that uh, bi-weekly at a minimum. I'm probably going to start doing it weekly. By all means, you're more than invited to come back on the yeah. show. You know, I think the future of healthcare is really understanding that we need to take a new approach to behavior change. Just doing the same thing over and over and over and giving people information, that alone isn't going to drive change. What we really have is we have a behavioral deficit, not an informational deficit. Yeah, and so agreed. I encourage your listeners, start asking questions of, well, what is that behavior? And what am I truly doing to try and drive that behavior change rather than just giving people information? Yeah. And if we start taking that approach, we'll take both a top-down and a bottom-up approach to healthcare. I'm not even talking about changing the economics. I'm not talking about changing the infrastructure or even just continuing telehealth. It's getting into the heart of human behavior. That is how we will drive change if people start to ask the right questions and start to take care of themselves and start to take care of each other. Then we as a society and we as a health environment are going to be in a much, much better position. Yeah, agreed. Let me double back one of the parts of the statement you just made. All the information that we give in each other, if you really think about that, that's nothing more than a mental newsfeed. Interesting. If you really think about your newsfeed on Facebook, on Twitter, or wherever you, you're choosing to select your news from, you're just scrolling. If you put that in that context and you're receiving that information, you can mentally just scroll right through it, which makes what you're doing that much more important on identifying irrational behaviors and trying to, I want to say control, but correct and redirect. Mm -hmm. Okay. And redirect is a really strong word here. By redirecting people, you're making them stop on their mental newsfeed. This is what you got to do, and here's why. I look at that, and I'm like, you know, some, when I look at ideas like that, I'm like, wait a minute. And I didn't say that when myself and Chase, you originally were talking about this, but I saw that, and I was like, stop the presses. Yes, because <laughs> I saw it a mile away. You nailed that. Between FOMO and redirecting, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. It's, we call it the make the right path, the easy path. It, not to go on a tangent here, but... You know, if you're eating a sleeve of cookies and there might be two sleeves of cookies in there, right. not that I ever do that, um, but <laughs> I have. You, have to open, you have to open the second sleeve, you stop and think. Right. So it's like that partitioning. So what you're talking about is redirecting and it's creating the mental redirect of do I want to do this or not? Mm -hmm. When something's out of the grocery store right now and you can't buy what you normally do, you have to stop and think. And that's oftentimes what we want to do because that drives behavior change when we get out of our inertia and we get out of our norm we're oftentimes more likely to be changing our behavior than when we can just keep continuing down the same path. Yeah, agreed. Karen, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Scott. That really was fun. Karen, if you will, real quick, please give us your website and your personal email, if you don't mind. 
It's uh, ValHealth, www.valhealth.com. And my email is khorgan at ValHealth, K-H-O-R-G-A-N. And I hope you all reach out. And if you have questions, comments, barking dogs, hailstorms, bring it all. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) We'll make sure that we leave all that information in the podcast notes below. Karen, really, really great to have you on. I really appreciate your insight to seeing what the future is. That's really exciting stuff. So I'm definitely going to be picking on you again to do that soon, real soon. Hint, hint. This is uh, Scott Burgess. I'm your host. This is Healthcare 360. Thanks for joining in and we'll see you in the next one. Take care. Boom. We're done. That's it. And thank you for the nice comments. I appreciate that. Thanks, Scott. What a storm that was. Karen Hogan is so in tune and with our behaviors. I hope you will connect with Karen and visit Val Health at ValHealth.com. I appreciate the easy conversation we shared, and I look forward to Karen visiting Healthcare 360 again soon. From our family to yours, we hope you are feeling well, and we hope you have gained significant business insights and next-level information as we move past this global pandemic. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoyed the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Twitter at hc360podcast or healthcare360podcast.com. If you'd like to have a conversation or discuss a topic option on Healthcare 360, please look for the calendar link in the podcast notes below and let's set up a time to talk. I hope this conversation empowers and educates HC360 Nation's best and brightest, and I look forward to building our relationship. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess. And from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.